Attention all personnel, MASH Matters is now on Patreon. This is really exciting. I've never been on Patreon and I can't wait until we are officially there. We're there now. You can become a MASH Matters VIP and join a community of supporters who help make this podcast possible. Oh boy. So what do they do? Go to mashmatters.com support and select your rank. We have four tiers with perks, including early access to new episodes, stickers, keychains, autographs, and Jeff, they could even get a private Zoom chat with us where we can talk about MASH. Whoa, I'm shaking in my boots and I wore boots. Enlist now, select your rank, mashmatters.com slash support. And thank you for being our VIP. You are the finest kind. And now on with the show. Attention all personnel. Incoming podcast. This is MASH Matters. Here we are back again. Episode 51 of MASH Matters, the podcast celebrating the greatest television show of all time. Hosted by two guys who love the show for their own special reasons. I'm Ryan Patrick, alongside my friend, Mr. Jeff Maxwell. Hello, Jeff. Hello, Ryan Patrick. Boy, 51. Holy moly. Yeah. Could you ever have imagined when we were at three that we would be saying 51? (laughs) No. Wow. I think the listeners are as shocked as we are that we lasted this long. Uh, I'm sorry. Wait, hold on one second. We have listeners? (laughs) Yes, yes, and we're going to list them all by name in this episode. (laughs) We're here all week, ladies and gentlemen. Have the feel. We have been around for 51 episodes and counting, and one of the main reasons we have lasted as long as we have is because we keep getting great emails and voicemails and Facebook messages and tweets from our listeners with some great questions and comments, and we are going to run through a bunch of them. In fact... Jeff, we did this a few episodes back. We were trying to catch up on some older questions, some older emails that came in. Mm -hmm. And this is another batch of emails that have been languishing in MASH Matters Purgatory for many, many months. (laughs) Some of these uh, go back to our teen years, uh, our teen episodes. Back when we were much younger and more youthful and more energetic. So uh, let me just do a blanket apology to everybody who sent their messages in and then thought we dropped off the face of the earth. And Mm -hmm. I think we're going to surprise some people, probably some people who don't even remember sending us these messages. Well, that's good. Okay. You know, it's better late than never, they say. (laughs) That's true. So what do you say? Let's jump in. We have our first message coming in from Brad. And Brad says, Gentlemen, from the very center of my soul, thank you. I first found MASH as an early teen and watched the final three years during its first run. I got it, but I didn't really get it, and I moved on. I rediscovered MASH again in college, where each weeknight it would air at 10.30 p.m. I was hooked. Like so many others have written, I have all the DVDs, I worked for a major retailer then, and I could not wait for release Tuesdays. When I hear the MASH theme, my body and mind react. I know I'm going to watch my TV family, and they're going to bring me peace and completeness. I didn't enjoy all the characters right away, except for Colonel Flag, and over time, I grew to appreciate and love them. Hawkeye's wit and hidden compassion, BJ's demeanor and his voice, the inflection, the cadence is amazing. Blake's simpleton approach, Potter's paternal presence with the heart and soul of an angel, and yes, 
Even Igor huh. brought joy through Jeff's portrayal. With Igor, I enjoyed the transparency of who he was. Hmm. So many good thoughts and feelings with MASH. Thank you. He goes on to say, something I didn't expect was how you brought another formative TV program of my life together with MASH. For me, MASH and NYPD Blue are the pinnacle of TV programming. For similar reasons, the characters of Sipowitz and Simone captured my attention with their speaking cadence, personal character, and strength. When I heard you say that Blue and MASH were both shot on stage nine my two worlds collided in such an incredible way boom to episode 28 and why igor lost his voice jeff hearing your story of what happened that day and how the words of that executive affected you also hit home in 2015 after 18 years with one company i was laid off as part of a large organizational restructure i hit rock bottom emotionally and physically i laid in bed and shook it's not the same, I know, but damn, I had some scary days. Mm. TV partially saved my life. MASH and the opening theme, NYPD Blue and Emergency, gave me something to hold on to when my life at the time was its darkest. I could ramble for pages and pages. I'll have to think about my favorite episodes and write again. Until that day, I leave you with this. Mr. Maxwell, thank you for your role in my life. Mr. Patrick, thank you for bringing this podcast to the air. Thank you, Brad. Very, very nice. Thank you for all those kind, nice things. Certainly, especially about me. That's really <laughs> kind. Thank you for writing and sending that to us in the fall of 2018. I'm pretty sure. I have no idea <laughs> when you sent that to us. And Tristan from Australia writes, okay, I had, I'd said, uh, Ryan, I wasn't going to tell my little story about a koala bear, but I just got to run through it really quickly. I visited Australia and I, I wanted to pet a koala bear. <laughs> and so you go to the little zoo, you go to the koala bear zoo. And yeah, I'm so excited because they're so cute. And it was around two o'clock in the afternoon. Now, koala bears are nocturnal. They're a sleep during the day mm. and they are stoned on eucalyptus juice because all they that's <laughs> true they eat eucalyptus trees and they're stoned out of their mind i started to nibble on a few myself it didn't do anything for me but apparently it just knocks the heck out of koala bears so they're really stoned because they're eating all these uh, stuff well i couldn't wait so they bring the koala bear out and it's handled by a guy who had huge gloves on holding this little furry thing and i go why do you have these big gloves Gloves on holding this very little thing. So they say, okay, don't touch the koala bear, sir. Don't touch it until I tell you you can. Okay, it's a little bear. Don't touch it. So then they put this huge pad on your shoulder and it kind of drapes over your shoulder all the way down to the almost your belly button. And you say, what is that for? Oh, so just calm down, sir. And they take the koala bear and they kind of hook it on that pad because the koala bear's claws are razor, razor sharp. And they're like hooks to the point that if it touched your skin, it literally just ripped the skin off. Wow. So they have to hook the little bear <laughs> on your shoulder. And now this guy's saying, don't touch it until I touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. All I want to do is touch it. And after a while, I didn't want to touch it. I wanted the bear off of me. <laughs> I was frightened of the little koala bear. But I did pet him and he was very soft and he looked at me with very stoned eyes. But it's weird. weird. I mean, I had no idea that the koala bear had such intensely sharp hook-like claws. So if you ever see a koala bear, leave him alone because he'll rip your skin off if you don't <laughs> treat him well. Okay, Tristan from Australia says, I'm thoroughly enjoying the podcast and have tuned in from episode one. The perspectives brought by each of you had made me see the show in a different light. I've been watching MASH for as long as I can remember, and like a lot of others, it was something that brought our family together. I recall asking Mum on countless occasions what MASH stood for. Clearly, it didn't stick. 
Anyway, after binge-watching most of season five recently, I have two questions for Jeff. One, how many latrines do you think you dug? Quite honestly, I have no idea. <laughs> there is <laughs> there is some uh, conflict about whether I was digging one or not. I think probably, if memory serves, I was in a latrine twice. Other than that, I have no idea. Question two, in the episode Hawkeye Gets Your Gun, where Colonel Potter and Hawkeye go to a Korean hospital... What hand did Igor have when Potter commandeers the cards? Thanks, guys. Keep up the awesome work. The answer to number two is, have no idea. <laughs> if memory serves, I think we've had this question before. Yes. In an earlier episode, and the answer was still the same. Tristan, we have no idea. No idea. You don't even know. I assume you were playing poker, but you could have been yeah. playing gin. You could yep. have been playing go fish or yep. old maid, for all we know. Yes. Who knows what you had? You know, they call it acting there when you're sitting there pretending. <laughs> it's really pretending, acting, and lying is <laughs> what it's all about. So, yeah, I have no idea what the heck it was. I mean, you have to. I think you you have to have at least a flush, maybe a full house. Yeah. By the way, I'm still kind of ticked at Potter for not letting you finish the hand. Thank you. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on, Sherm. You could have at least let them finish the hand. You know, I think I remember the cards had nudes on them. I think that was what it was. Wow. Yeah, it was a whole different deal. Well, anyway, <laughs> go ahead. Uh, was- I'm sorry. I'm, I'm now preoccupied with something else. <laughs> I don't know if I can focus on this now. Okay, moving on. Laura Latham, longtime listener. Again, I tell you, these emails are so old. This one is referencing something from episode 16. But Laura says, in episode 16, there was a conversation about Maxwell Kuklinger's middle name. I write MASH fan fiction and have done a lot of research on MASH characters, their backstories, names, presumed ages, and family history. One thing I always find curious about Klinger is that he states repeatedly he is of Arabic background, but he has a German last name and a traditionally Scottish first name. Interesting. My personal theory about Klinger's name is that he has a Scotch-German father and his mother is Arabic. Because most of the family he mentions seems to be Arabic, I also theorize that his father left the family when Klinger was a young child. This would also help explain one of the reasons he's so protective of his mother. As for the Q... An Arabic middle name would make sense as Germans tend not to use middle names. So his mother may have insisted on it and used an Arabic name. There are a few Arabic Q boy names. The ones I prefer, and I'm probably going to destroy the pronunciation of these names, but the ones I prefer are Kusay, Kusi, uh, it's Q-U-S-A-Y, which means far away, or Kuan, Q-U-A-N, which means army man. Anyway, thanks for all you do. I love MASH Matters. And in fact, the podcast has convinced me to start listening to podcasts. See you in the funny papers, Laura. Wow. Is there going to be a test? Because <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't start taking notes until about the halfway through. So It's an open book test. Ooh, boy, that was interesting, though. Interesting, too, that she writes MASH fan fiction. That's actually going to come up again with a, another letter here in just a little bit. And Matt McLean says, good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm a tad late to the podcast, so I'm just catching up on all the episodes now. I wanted to say that this podcast has been so enjoyable for me. MASH has been a, one of my favorite shows for well over 20 years now. To have this insight and behind-the-scenes knowledge shared with us in such an easy-going and fun way by two extremely likable hosts Aww. is really such a treat for me. Can we get those guys? How, how do we hear them? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know where they are. They sound like they're great guys, though. Would be fun to hear. Yeah. I'm currently listening to episode 13, in which you asked us to share our feelings on the episode Hawkeye. 
It was only recently that I'd begun to become aware of the online community surrounding MASH, and I was absolutely shocked, shocked, I say, to discover that so many people hate this episode. Hmm. I can't even for a minute understand why. Hawkeye is quite possibly my favorite episode in the whole 11 series run. For all the reasons that the two of you outlined, such as Alan Alda's incomparable acting and Larry Gelbart's wonderful script and perfect direction, you just can't get much better than Hawkeye. Ha ha! On top of all this, it's quite possibly the funniest episode in all of MASH as well. Eh, maybe not. Anyway, it's really just a perfect episode in every way, and Alan Alda showed us why he's one of the all-time greats. I just love it. Thanks for what you do, gentlemen. It really is a great, great podcast. I look forward to many more. All the best, Matt McLean. Thank you, Matt. I agree with everything you said. Yeah, except that whole, it's quite possibly the funniest episode. It can't possibly be that because Igor wasn't in the episode. Thank you. I wish I'd have said that. That was really good, but I'm glad you did. Thank you very much. Yeah, I agree. Hawkeye is a fantastic episode, and I, I too, don't understand the disdain that some people have for it. One of the main things I hear is, that people feel it was some kind of an ego trip with him, you know, being the only person in it. But I mean, for me, it's a tour de force performance from Alan Alda. Mm -hmm. Yes. There are not a lot of actors uh, who can do that, who could do a one man show for, you know, 24 minutes plus commercials and keep it interesting. Mm -hmm. What a performance. And I, I believe, Jeff, this is one of those performances, if memory serves, where you were on the set and you were watching. I was watching it and I was stunned by it. I thought, oh, yeah, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be Alan talking, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, in about 10 minutes, I went, oh, my goodness gracious, I'm watching something really spectacular here. So, you know, as a burgeoning actor at the time, watching this guy do what he was doing, all I could think to myself was, gee, I wish I could do that. Maybe, can I do that someday? Can I, will I be able to do that? Probably not, but I'd like to try because he was, he was just phenomenal. It, yeah. it was just wonderful. Yeah. Just amazing. And again, everybody has their own opinions. And if you're not a fan of the show, that's your opinion. That's fine. I mean, you're wrong, but you have an opinion. It's okay. I think if you watch it, I think if people give it another shot and they watch it again after hearing us talk about it, I think you kind of go, oh, yeah, it's not the ego trip. He's really doing something. And like you say, how many people could pull that off and do it so well and with such an engaging, kind of charming and humorous and yet very insightful presentation and and performance? It's spectacular. I think he should have won an Oscar. (laughs) Well, uh, they don't give Oscars for television. Vision, oh, you know, no. now we're going to get more letters, Jeff. We get letters. We get lots and lots of letters. We also get lots of voicemails. Yes. Let's go to the phones. Hi, Jeff and Ryan. This is Marisa Stamper. You guys are awesome. I appreciate your show very much. My suggestion would be how about interviewing you two? We know a lot about the other MASH characters on the show, and Jeff has shared a lot of information, but How about Ryan? How about the other things that Jeff has done? There's some more information. That would be awesome to hear. 
Great job, guys. Keep up the good work. You're awesome. You know, honestly, I think that's not a bad idea. I think we should do that sometime. I think we should interview each other. You think so? Yeah, I do. You really think so? I do. I think it would be fun. I mean, I've had the idea of doing an episode where we talk about, outside of MASH, your other series that you did and the guest appearances you made and some of the the work you've done in development of films and, and TV. I think that would be fascinating. Kind of a Jeff Maxwell, this is your life. As far as myself, there's very little to say. I don't know if there's anything interesting to share about me. Okay, fine. Let's do it that way then. <laughs> I think uh, I think we should do that. You have a lot to say and you've done a lot of stuff. And so I think it would be kind of interesting for us to interview each other. I think we might. I think that would be fun to do. Okay. I'll tell you what. We'll do it. We'll do it sometime in 2021. All right. I mean, people have had enough in 2020. They don't need that (laughs) on top of everything else. Mitch Stockdale says, Jeff and Ryan wanted to pass on my appreciation for your podcast. My memories of MASH go back to 1972 when I was five years old. I started watching the show with my late father every Monday night all the way through the final episode. Had the pleasure of introducing MASH to my stepdaughter when she was nine years old with the episode Carry On Hawkeye. Ten years later, she still loves the show and especially that episode when Hawkeye and Margaret were giving each other the flu shots. We both still love it when Hawkeye is ready to receive his in his tushy Radar accidentally walks in and says, excuse me, I'm sorry. And Hawkeye starts laughing and Margaret just nails him with that shot. Oh, Margaret, that was fantastic. Continued success with the show. Many thanks, Mitch Stockdale in Newark, Ohio. Thanks, Mitch. That was fun. That was fun. And there is going to be another great Hawkeye and Margaret scene coming up when we discuss our season five celebration, which, by the way, Jeff, if all goes as planned, will be our next episode. At long last, we are going to celebrate season five. So if you haven't already, get us your favorite season five episodes. Tell us why you love those episodes. And uh, we may include some of your comments in the next episode of MASH Matters. Very exciting. All right. This next one comes from Moose Martelli. Says, hello, Jeff and Ryan. My name is Moose and I am a Mashaholic. I'm embarrassed to reveal how many times I've seen every episode of MASH. You shouldn't be embarrassed, Moose. It's okay. But I will say it's the only reason why I keep Hulu. I am old enough to remember the pilot episode and it was love at first laugh. Secondly, I want to thank you both for this delightful podcast. It's wonderful to hear. I'm not the only person with this addiction, nay, obsession for a show that ended so many years ago. Keep up the great work and we'll keep listening. Well, okay. Sounds like a deal. Finally, he says, though I am in the construction field, I love to write. Nothing serious, just some random thoughts amok to keep the old brain box working. I've attached to this email the highlights of a treatment I wrote some time ago. It's a bit long, so I really don't expect you to read this on the podcast. I'm just sharing it with you in hopes you'll enjoy it. Nevertheless, feel free to share it with anyone. John Moose Martelli. Wow. John, what he did in this treatment, it is rather long, so we're not going to read it, but it was um, his idea of a MASH reunion. And some of the highlights, he does go into the main cast, but he also mentions where some of the secondary cast where they end up. He says uh, Kelly left nursing to become a grammar school teacher in Hawaii. Rizzo is a proud papa and promotional manager of little baby Bubba, who is now a world famous alligator wrestler. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you know, the Pierre Hotel, that is where the big party happened uh, in the episode, The Party. Well, that's where they have the reunion and the Pierre Hotel manager 
just happens to be Igor Straminsky. Ah, how about that? Cool. I got I got class all of a sudden. Yeah, <laughs> you thought great. you were going to go back and be a pig farmer yeah, after the I was war prepared and prepared for that. I like ribs very much. <laughs> So thank you, Moose. Another example of fan fiction. And we get a lot of that. We want to thank everybody who has sent us their fan fiction. I know you take a lot of pride in it. There's some fun, fun stuff in there. I have never written fan fiction, but I am in awe of people and their imaginations and the creativity they bring to these characters that we've loved for so many years. So yeah, keep it up. Keep it up. Cool. Very cool. Yep. And from uh, Michael Holly. Michael says, hey, Jeff and Ryan, question for you gentlemen. I know that the cast of MASH actually buried a time capsule on the 20th Century Fox lot after the last scenes were shot. Is it known if the time capsule has been found yet? Love the show. Y'all keep up the amazing work. Thanks, Michael Holly. Well, interesting question. Yes, they did bury a thing. And this is, I'm going to say what I know, and I bet Ryan Patrick knows more than I do about this. But from what I understand is that there was a package buried Mm -hmm. at 20th Century Fox on the lot. I guess there was some construction work going on at some point and they hit this thing and dug it up and it looked like it had something to do with MASH. And somehow they linked it to Alan Alda. And I guess this construction guy contacted Alan Alda and he said, hey, we found this box with all this stuff in it. Do you want it? And to my understanding, he went, nah, (laughs) it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the end of it, I think. But that that was the mythology that I know of. That is the story. Yeah, Yeah. you know, the final episode that was filmed, not the final episode of the show, but the final episode that was filmed, which was the penultimate episode that aired, was titled As Time Goes By. And the the theme of that episode was centered around the MASH crew putting together a time capsule. So after the show wrapped, the cast did decide to bury a real-time capsule filled with props from the show. And their hope was that the time capsule would, you know, remain untouched for, you know, a hundred years. Well, they didn't tell the studio about it. And <laughs> 20th Century Fox, almost immediately after the show wrapped, sold the property where it was buried. And so, yeah, like you said, a construction worker digs it up. He finds it. He contacts Alan Alda, says, hey, I've got this. Alan says, keep it. Finders keepers. You found it. Keep it. (laughs) But according to Alan, (laughs) the construction worker didn't really seem that impressed with it. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd like to take just a moment here and talk one-on-one with this construction worker. (laughs) Sir, I don't know your name. Maybe it's Biff or Earl, or maybe you have a nickname, or maybe you go by Tank or Chief or something. Or Thor, maybe. Yeah, or Thor. Sir, I want to say this with all due respect. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? (laughs) Do you know what you have there? And if you still have it, and you don't really want it, give us a call. (laughs) We'll be happy to take that off your hands. Seriously, I would love to know everything that was in that time capsule and what happened to it. So if anybody out there knows the uh, construction worker who found this and has any information about this time capsule, please get in contact with us because we want to hear more about that. Yep. All right, moving on. This one coming from Tony. Ryan and Jeff just found this podcast recently, so questions or comments I make here may have been answered by the time I'm caught up. 
Like the question I had about why you guys did not like the flying clinger in the pink slippers. You answered it a couple podcasts later. While I agree it was over the top, the reactions of Trapper and Hawkeye, whose makeout sessions were interrupted by the sighting, made it worth it. Also, the music as Clinger soars and the way he kicks his giant feet. If the show had done more of that, yes, it would have been too much. But as a one-off, it is brilliant and hilarious to me. Well, okay. Mm -hmm. He goes on to say, mostly I'm enjoying the podcast, but one huge complaint. When you started playing clips from the show, I was happy. I thought it would be funny to hear a bit of whatever you guys were discussing. But why, why are you using clips from the laugh track? I have always found it very annoying. And to my overwhelming joy, when I began buying the seasons on DVD, I found that you could turn it off. It has long been known that Larry Gelbart and crew fought against the laugh track. With a laugh-free version easily available, why not use it instead? I am to the point where on a new program, if I'm watching the first episode and there is a laugh track or so-called live audience, I immediately turn it off. Big Bang Theory was the last show I will ever watch with a laugh track. Now I cringe when I hear Seinfeld or Friends or MASH clips. The laughs are so over the top and sometimes even obscure the dialogue. Listening last night, it was hard to hear all the words in your clips because the laughs were so loud. My goodness. Okay, so. Well. Gee. First of all, I want to go back. If you're a new listener to the podcast, yes, in one of the early episodes, I revealed that my least favorite scene of all of MASH was the giant red bird with fuzzy pink feet. Klinger trying to escape using the hang glider. It's too much. It's too jokey. It's too hacky. I'm not a fan. But I know that there are a lot of people out there who love that scene. Again, you're wrong, but I respect your opinion. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't really. I know you don't. Absolutely not. So uh, the laugh track. Now, I am a huge fan of the DVDs where you can turn off the laugh track. I do love watching the show without the laugh track. When we use clips to highlight some of the scenes we're talking about, why do we use the version with the laugh track? There are a couple of reasons. One, from a production standpoint, it's easier for me to access and record the audio with the laugh track. But secondly, most people, if they don't have the DVDs, everybody else has been exposed to MASH with the laugh track. Love it or hate it, the laugh track is a part of MASH. Part of the familiarity of MASH is the laugh track. From an audio standpoint, hearing the dialogue that you've heard for so long without the laugh track is a bit disconcerting at times. It's a little jarring to hear these familiar sounds, but not hear the familiar laugh track with it. So one of the reasons we include sometimes tracks with the laugh track is because that's how most people have heard and watched MASH for the last 40 something years. Well said. Well said. My quick opinion of laugh tracks is that I don't hate them like a lot of people do. What I really hate, however, is like when a show is a sitcom and it's done in front of a live audience and, you know, a moderately funny or even clunky, not so funny joke is done and the audience goes insanely crazy and <laughs> that makes me sick. And, you know, they sweeten the laughs. Mm -hmm. They really overdo it. And, and that's embarrassing and kind of humiliating to hear that because you want to go, Are, do you really think I'm stupid as an audience? You know, come on. Mm -hmm. A little bit of laughing here and there. And I think I agree in terms of MASH and some of the shows that are, you know, a one camera show and still a comedy. Without it, there is a certain deadness and a silence to it. And I think that the laugh, a little bit of laugh, does help keep the rhythm of the show, really. Without it, I think the rhythm of the show is a little hurt. 
It's interesting, too, that a couple of the shows that Tony cited were Seinfeld and Friends and Big Bang Theory. Well, those shows were filmed in front of an audience. Right. A laugh track, to me, is not necessarily a live studio audience. A laugh track is when fake canned laughter is added into a show right. where there is no audience. There is no audience in MASH. Where Where is the audience? <laughs> you know, there was, it was not shot in front of a live studio audience. On the flip side of that, I've been to tapings of sitcoms before. They really urge you to laugh. There's the person whose job is to get you pumped up between takes. Hey, laugh big, laugh loud. You get wrapped up in the excitement of the moment. And when you hear the other audience members laughing, you want to laugh too. You want to be a part of it. It's not necessarily that the joke was that funny, but there is something a little magical about being in the audience for one of those tapings and get wrapped up in responding to what's playing out in front of you. You know, there are also cults that are good to join uh, (laughs) if you feel the need to do that. They'll they'll get you wrapped up, too. I thought it was a little strange that they were handing out robes as we entered the studio. Yeah, that warm-up guy, when he puts on the weird robes and pulls out the knives and everything, is really kind of strange. Yeah, yeah, a little odd, yeah. Well, uh, Jeff says, quick random question. I just watched the episode Souvenirs about buying and selling used brass and such. In the episode, Hawkeye and BJ are rolling yarn into a ball. Seems like a very random thing to be doing, but it isn't the only episode where they are doing exactly this while Colonel Potter is talking about something else. Was this someone's random hobby? I know Margaret did some knitting in War for All Seasons. What gives? Just curious. If anyone can find out, Ryan can. (laughs) All right, Ryan can. What kind of yarn is this anyway? All right. (laughs) I see what you did there. Yeah. So I have no idea why they did that. Probably it was just something I have no idea. Do you? Is this a good time to reveal Alan Alda's weird yarn fetish? Should we do that now? I don't think we should do that on this. uh, Probably shouldn't. Yeah. Bring him back and he's going to not show up if we do. It's it's a touchy subject. Jeff, I thank you for your faith in me thinking that I can find the answer to this question. But the honest answer is I have no idea. No idea. I mean, actors look for things to do in scenes. You don't just sit and do nothing. In real life, you're always finding things to do and play with and fidget with. And why specifically balls of yarn? I don't know. Maybe in the research, they found out that yarn was prevalent in camp. The next time we talk to Loretta, we have to ask her about the scarf that turned into the sweater that turned into the blanket in A War for All Seasons, if that was uh, something that she actually did or if it was just something that was written into the show. A couple of things, though, I found out about yarn when I was doing some research, (laughs) seeing if I could find anything. You really did research on yarn. There is a connection between yarn and the Korean War. Now, this is from a New Zealand history website. It says the Korean War had a dramatic indirect economic impact in New Zealand. The sense of crisis precipitated by the outbreak in 1950 encouraged the United States to buy large quantities of wool, not for uniforms for use in Korea, as many supposed at the time and since, but to bolster its strategic stockpiles. This demand led to the greatest wool boom in New Zealand's history, with prices tripling almost overnight. However, the inflationary effect of other commodity buying offset the advantages of the wool boom with imported raw materials rapidly increasing in price. So maybe the uh, boom in wool was due to the fact that every unit had to have a ball of yarn. 
I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, I'm a little dizzy. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm... Here's a fun fact, though. The Smithsonian, and many <laughs> listeners know, when MASH was over. Wait, I'm just going to order some fries. Go ahead. I'll be right back. Can I get a large order of fries, please? Thank you. <laughs> many of the set pieces and props from the show went to the Smithsonian. There was a big exhibit where they had the swamp and where they had the OR, and the Smithsonian still has all of these. Now, they're not on display right now. Why? I don't know. Come on, Smithsonian. Get with it. But on the Smithsonian's website, listed among all the things cataloged in their inventory are two balls of yarn from MASH. My only guess is they were part of the props that were in the swamp. But yes, the Smithsonian does have two balls of yarn from MASH in their collection. These fries are really good with chili on them. Boy. <laughs> Man, they're good. Okay, real, uh, very quickly, the Smithsonian Institute actually wanted my photographs that I shot on the set one day out of the ranch. Yeah. They said, we'd like you to give us those photographs. I said, why should I give you the photographs? And they said, well, because they're going to be at the Smithsonian Institute. And I said, but then I can't use them. And they said, yeah, well, that's true. They're going to be at the Smithsonian Institute. So I didn't give it to them. Hmm. Instead, I included them, uh, some of the photographs in my book. And I was happier to do that than actually give them. But it would have been a prestigious thing, but they would have been in the Smithsonian Institute. So I didn't want them to do that. So there you go. They could have been displayed right there next to the two balls of yarn. <laughs> what a missed opportunity, Jeff. Balls of yarn. That's the name of our book, Ryan Patrick, The Two Balls <laughs> of Yarn, the best of the MASH podcast. From Michael Herrig Jr., he says, Hello, MASH matters to me because I grew up listening to stories about my uncle flying helicopters for the Army in Vietnam. So my earliest memories of the show actually was the intro with the helicopters and thinking that was my uncle on TV. Anywho, as a person growing up with the show, I was not able to have seen the movie before the TV show due to the content. Mr. Maxwell, was the option for you to see the movie before acting on the show? Keep up the great podcast. I look forward to catching many more. Now, before we get into this, this also ties into a question from Ron Batter. He said, I know Gary Berghoff was also in the movie. Jeff, did you ever meet or get feedback from people involved with the movie, like Altman, Sutherland, Gould, Duvall, etc.? Or did Gary ever share stories about the movie? And before you answer that, I do want to mention, too, that my friend Adam Donmoyer, a long, long, long time ago, sent us a voicemail asking about the connection with the movie. And Adam... I lost your voicemail. I'm sorry. So Adam Don Moyer, you're awesome. Thank you for the voicemail, but I, I can't find it. Oh. Anyway, Jeff. Yes, yes. You actually had a connection to the MASH film before you were ever a part of the MASH series, correct? I did have a connection to the MASH film. I was actually, at that point, I was a casting director at 20th Century Fox. I sat in my cool suits and my uh, drive-on pass, which I loved because I could just drive the car right onto the lot. That's really hard to get, but I got one of those. <laughs> So uh, I cast some of the smaller roles in the movie. So wherever you saw some of the smaller folks come on, I was part of that process in casting those people for it. So that's an odd thing that happened to me that I was part of that. And then umpteen years later, boom, there I am on the actual television version of it. So that's kind of fun. Really cool. When you were doing casting for the movie, did you have any contact with Robert Altman or any of the other people in the movie? No. 
Okay. No, we, we weren't really connected with them. We were just in an office. Mm-hmm. And so they'd say, we need this type. And so we'd get a f- few people in and talk to them and cast one of them. And then they would go off to, the, to do the part. So no, we didn't really have any close contact with anybody at all. Was there ever any talk on the set about the movie? Uh, I was never a part of any of those conversations. They may have happened uh, occasionally. I know Robert Altman did not like the television show. He thought that the character of Hawkeye was very, uh, quote, too liberal, and he didn't like the way the show was really done. So there was some animosity from his end. I don't know whether it went back the other way. I suppose if you hear somebody doesn't like you or doesn't like what you're doing, you probably don't have a great opinion of them. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I don't think there was any love lost between the MASH movie and the MASH uh, television show. Gary certainly developed his character oh, yeah. once he got onto the, you know, the TV version from the movie. He really developed it into a much more fuller kind of person. But that was his choice, and that was the way the writers were writing it, and that was, uh, you know, his ability. He could do that. But I don't, you know, there wasn't a great... Uh, connection to the movie, really. It really wasn't. A lot of the set pieces out at the Fox Ranch, a lot of what was built for the movie was then used for the series. That's very true. Yes. All the stuff that was left from the film, yes, was used in the series because, you know, and a lot of stuff was put in storage and they dragged it out. Uh, And when Fox said, hey, we want to do a TV version of this because it should be a cool series and we'll make a lot of money. Then it was a good idea. And they contacted uh, Gene Reynolds to be the producer of it and to create the show, which he did. But there wasn't a great connection between the the movie and the television show in terms of emotionally. Mm-hmm. There was no love lost between either one of them. All right. Thank you for the question. Now let's go back to the phones. Hi, Ryan and Jeff. This is Jeff from Southern Idaho. So as I watched the show after listening to your podcast, I've got to say that I appreciate Igor so much more than I did before. He was a background character, you know, I mean, he had his role and he had his funny moments. But now that there's been this, you know, podcast interaction, it's just so fun to see Igor and to know that, you know, we interact with him now. I do have one question, though. So in the next to last episode of the entire series, Igor has the dummy hand grenade that he wants to turn into a reading lamp for his mother. How on earth are you going to turn a grenade into a reading lamp? I'm just wondering if that's something that you ever thought about. I mean, I know that it was just a roll when you were just reading lines, but I'm just wondering if that's something that you ever considered. How would you do it if you had to? Anyway, keep up the good work, guys. Thank you very much. Well, I would have given my mother a real hand grenade and just said, here, mom, (laughs) turn the light on. (laughs) What happened? We need to explore Igor's relationship with his mother. That's what we need to do right now. Might be good. (laughs) I did Google how to turn a grenade into a lamp. Wait a minute. I got to order some more fries. Hey, (laughs) Marty. Now, I don't know if I should be sad or thankful that I really didn't find any good results. Now, there are some lamps out there that have been made. Be careful with, here. No. <laughs> be careful. no, no, really. There are some grenade lamps, you know, so it's like a base and then there's a grenade and then there's a shade on it and it's a lamp. Sure. I've also seen how people have taken old grenades and they've hollowed them out and they've turned them into essentially like a little oil lamp. So it's kind of like the, mm-hmm. the little citronella, you know, uh, lamps that you 
you put out on your patio, except that instead of a little tin, it is a grenade mm-hmm. with the flame coming out the top. So I, I suppose either one of those could work. Mm-hmm. If anybody out there has ever turned a hand grenade into a reading lamp, please <laughs> let us know. Send us pictures. We'll put it on our Facebook and Twitter. Or have you ever turned a reading lamp into a hand grenade and used that as a, <laughs> a weapon to protect yourself? You know, I, what the heck? I, I actually thought, I, I kind of remember this now. I kind of thought it was sort of creative of Igor to <laughs> want to do that yeah, on yeah. some weird level. You know, he had this thing and he could do it and they want to send it to his mother. And, you know, it's kind of a funny thing to do. Send your mother a grenade that, <laughs> that lights up. I think we're on to something, though. Maybe, maybe Igor and his mother had a very contentious relationship. <laughs> and perhaps he was making this into a reading lamp for his mom, not as a gift, but as a threat. I'm just saying. Kind of a Freudian lamp. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it could be. Wait, let me Google how to make a Freudian, Freudian. lamp. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see anything there either. Well, yeah. So did we answer his question? Oh, I don't think we've effectively answered anybody's, anybody's question, question today, really. <laughs> we've just rambled on and on about yarn and reading lamps <laughs> till we lull our listeners to sleep and they forget about ever listening to this podcast. Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I have a letter here I thought I'd just read a little bit of. And uh, it's not an email, but it was a letter that I got. And uh, I just want to share a little bit of it. And it's from a Mr. Aaron Gilson. I won't read the whole thing, but I'll read just a little part of it. First, I want to thank you and Mr. Patrick for your superb podcast, MASH Matters. Coming across your podcast only recently reawakened my passion for a series that I discovered by accident as a 12-year-old. Hmm. One of the many benefits of my having revisited each MASH episode countless times is that I gained an appreciation for the nuanced aspects of an episode that may go unnoticed during an initial viewing or two. Through this process, I've found that you, Mr. Maxwell, are someone who benefits the most. You offer a treasure trove of gifts to the viewer. Your line delivery, body language, expressions, and reactions are always entertaining. Your on-air admission that you utilize your own insecurities as an actor to give your character a frequent deer-in-the-headlights gaze and demeanor seems inspired. (laughs) It makes perfect sense that Igor naturally would be anxious when in an uncertain and intimidating, dangerous environment. For me, insights like this are the most gratifying aspect of your podcast. In closing, I sincerely want to thank you for your craft. You should be proud of your contributions to people's happiness, including mine. You and Mr. Patrick have reminded me how much MASH does indeed continue to matter. With sincere respect, Aaron Gilson. Two questions. Yes. One, why does he keep talking about my dad? Who's Mr. Patrick? (laughs) Second, how much did you have to pay him to write that letter about you? $30. $30. It was oh. a bargain at 30 bucks, I figured. That's a pretty good rate. Yeah. It's not bad. You know, he tells a quite an interesting story about him sort of losing contact with it and his parents didn't watch MASH and he had to, you know, scurry around and watch it himself. And then he kind of had a reawakening about it and found it and watched it and so forth and so on. Yeah. So it was a in, very interesting story, but I, I had to share that because I thought that was a, it was a really,
really nice things for him to say. Yeah. And it's always nice to hear. I mean, certainly people that say nice things about me and the performance and about our podcast and about you and about the relationship here that we have and what we're doing. It's it's very, very gratifying. So I thank everybody and I thank you and I thank Morty for getting me the French fries. Thank you, Morty. Yeah, thank you. It's okay. Uh, yeah. So thanks for listening. Yes. Thank you. And if you would like to send us an email, mashmatterspodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter, on Facebook. You can subscribe and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I want to say a quick shout out to the following people. Now, these are all Apple usernames. So Olivia Kell, East Oakland Original, Dwayne T. Bricker, EWH3000, Motor Ted 33 Jonas450, Brianna R., Fan O'Disney, and ES. SCH3 for your recent reviews on Apple Podcasts. They really make our day. If you would like to rate and review us, you can do that on Apple Podcasts. And don't forget, you can call and leave a voicemail 513-436-4077. We love voicemails because we would much rather hear you tell us your story rather than us. So give us a call, leave a voicemail under three minutes in length. Yeah, because if you go over three minutes, the phone does something really awful to you, I think. Yeah, it zaps you. Yeah. It sends an electromagnetic <laughs> shock through the phone into your brain, and we don't want that to happen again. Very bad if you want to have children. It's yeah. very bad. So that is another round of listener questions and comments and voicemails. Thank you. Keep them coming. We're going to answer as many as we can. And our next episode, we'll talk about your favorite episodes and we'll talk about our favorite episodes from season five and that is coming up on the next episode of mash matters and i personally will do a little bit more research and see if i can figure out what hand he had all our dear eager had when potter took it away from him i'm curious now i have to go back in and see if i can figure that out all right until next time here's looking up your old address <laughs> <laughs>